Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. We appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. You know, the Bible defines for us what the truth is. In John 17, 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So we all want to know the truth, religious truth, because Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, John 8, 32. But it's the Bible that defines for us what the truth is. So the Bible is the thing that should answer every religious question. And that's what we intend to do on this program, is let the Bible answer every religious question. And the main point of this question is to allow you to call in and ask Bible questions. So call in, ask your Bible question, and we're going to let the Bible answer the Bible question for you. If I don't know the answer, I'll just say I don't know. If it's Sometimes there's not a Bible answer to some questions. Uh, while we're waiting on our first call, I thought we would look at, read John 9, verse 1. And it, it says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. Then, verse 6, he says, and when he had thus spoken... He spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Jesus encountered a blind man. He spat on the ground, made a little mud with the spit and the dirt, put that on his eyes, and said, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. The man did, and when he washed, in the pool of Siloam. Remember, this guy is blind from birth. Uh, he was able to see when he did what Jesus said. Matthew from Texas, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Why Why did Jesus want the blind man to go to watch and saw him? Could you explain that to me? Matthew, that's a very good question. He, he, as you said, he told the blind man after he put the little mud on his eyes, he told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and he would, and then he he got his eyesight. He, Jesus didn't have to do it that way to heal him. I mean, we can read in Luke seven where a centurion came to Jesus and asked about his servant to be healed, and and Jesus basically healed the centurion's servant without even going to him. He, he might have been some miles away, and he says. Your servant is healed. And when the centurion got back, he asked, he was healed. He said, when did he get healed? Well, it turns out he was healed at the same hour that Jesus said, your servant is healed. He, he, he could have been miles away and he healed that centurion's servant. He didn't have to ask the blind man to wash in the pool of Siloam to be healed of his blindness. He could have just snapped his finger and done it. And Matthew's got a great question. Why? Did he ask the blind man to go wash in the pool of Siloam when Jesus could have healed him without that? Matthew, is it possible that Jesus was wanting the blind man to act on his faith, on his faith before he healed the blind man? Is that possible, Matthew, you think? He wanted to see. He wanted him to act on his faith, didn't he? He wanted him... Yeah. To have to do something. He had the faith, obviously, but he wanted to him to act on his faith. He could have just said, I believe you can do it. He obviously did believe he could do it, but he went and washed in the pool of Siloam, just like Jesus said, and he was healed from his blindness. Jesus wanted him to act on his faith. 
we see this same thing going on in a number of times in the Old Testament, Matthew. For example, we read in Joshua 6, Matthew, about the walls of Jericho falling. But, but Matthew, to remember, God knocked those walls down in Joshua 6, but he told the Israelites to walk around the city once a day for six days, seven times on the seventh day, and then God would knock the walls down. Matthew, do you see how that God expected those Israelites to act upon their faith? You see that, Matthew? Yeah. Yeah. Matthew, God could have knocked those walls down if he wanted to without them walking, couldn't he? Yeah. But he didn't. He required them to walk around those walls 13 times in seven days, shout, blow the trumpets, and then God, God knocked the walls down. Now, the, the blind man didn't heal himself by washing in the pool of Siloam. That's not what healed him with the washing. Jesus healed him. The washing in the pool of Siloam was just a condition the blind man had to meet in order for Jesus to heal him. Same way with the walls of Jericho. The walking around the walls didn't knock those walls down. It was just a condition God required of them before he would knock the walls down. You see that, Matthew? Yeah. Matthew, another illustration. In 2 Kings 5, we have Naaman being healed of his, uh, healed or cleansed of his leprosy, terrible skin disease. God, through the prophet Elisha, told him to dip in the Jordan River seven times and he would be cleansed of his leprosy. At first, Naaman in 2 Kings 5 objected to that. But finally, he acquiesced and he went and dipped in the Jordan River seven times and he was healed of his leprosy. Matthew, could God have healed, could he have healed that leprosy without Naaman dipping in the Jordan River if God had wanted to? Could he have done it? Does he have that power, Matthew? No. He does have that power. God has the power. Uh, yes, he does. Uh, he has the power uh, to heal Naaman. Yeah, if he wants to, but he didn't. He made it conditioned upon Naaman dipping, dipping seven times in the Jordan River. He could have healed him without that, but he made Naaman. He made those Israelites walking around the walls. He made them act upon their faith. Just because they had faith, just because they believed God could knock those walls down, or just because Naaman believed God could heal him of his leprosy, that didn't mean the walls fell, or that didn't mean Naaman was cleansed. God made them act upon their faith. As a matter of fact, he made their act, action, based upon their faith, that was the condition they had to meet in order to receive the benefit that was promised. Matthew, one more illustration from the Old Testament to see this point. In Numbers 21, the Israelites murmured. You can read this in verses 5 through 9. God punished them by sending poisonous snakes, and they were biting them. People were dying. They said, okay, God, we're sorry. Please rescue us from this terrible condition. God told Moa, excuse me, God told Moses, Matthew, to put make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and whoever looked at the bronze serpent would be healed. Now. Matthew, did God have the power to heal them of their snake bites without making them look upon that bronze serpent? Did he have that power, Matthew? No. He did have that power, but that's not the way God chose to do it. He said, yes, he could have healed them without them looking upon that bronze serpent. Of course, God has that power, but 
He didn't do it that way. He says, you got to look at that bronze serpent that Moses put up, puts up on a pole before I'm going to heal you of the snake bite. You see, he, even though they probably had faith, they believed God could do it. He made them act upon their faith. That action based upon their faith was a condition they had to meet for God to heal them of their snake bites. You see that, Matthew? Yes. Matthew, does that sort of answer your question of why God required the blind man in John 9 to wash in the pool of Siloam? Because he wanted, he wanted the man. Thank you my Bible question. You're welcome, Matthew. Thank you for your call. That's a very good question. He wanted the blind man to have to act upon his faith. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. Now, I want to draw a parallel. God could save us from our sins just by snapping his fingers regardless of what we could do. He could even save an atheist from his sins. I mean, Jesus died for everybody, including the atheist. So God could just say everybody's going to be saved no matter what. They don't have to meet any conditions. That's We have people who believe that like that. They're called universalists. They believe since Jesus died for everybody, that's true. Therefore, everybody's going to be saved. It's unconditional. There are no conditions. God could have done it that way, but he didn't. Remember, he said in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that who, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So there is at least one condition. Actually, there's more than one. You got to believe in Jesus in order to be saved from your sins. Well, you got to do more than that. In Acts chapter two, verse 38, Peter told some believers, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. So a believer has to repent and be baptized to get the remission of sins. Now, God could heal, save everybody from their sins without repentance without baptism, but he doesn't choose it to do it that way. He makes them act upon their faith, just like he did the blind man who wanted to be healed of, of his blindness in John 9. He made him act upon his faith. God could have healed him based upon his faith. No, you got to wash in the pool of Siloam. you got to go into the water and wash. Same way with Naaman. God could have healed him of his leprosy based upon his faith, but he didn't. He made him act upon his faith. He had to clean He had to dip in that water seven times. God could have knocked those walls down, Jericho walls, without the Israelites doing nothing. He didn't. He made them act upon their faith, walk around the walls 13 times in seven days. And he could heal the Israelites in Numbers 21, all those snake bites, just by snapping his fingers and doing it just because he wanted to with no conditions, but he didn't. He made them act upon their faith. It's the same way with our salvation. Jesus died for everybody. He could heal he could cleanse everybody of their sins based upon that blood, but he doesn't. He makes it conditional. He said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, Mark 16, 16. So he makes our salvation conditioned upon us acting upon our faith. We see that from Mark 16, 16 and Acts 2, 38. Also Acts 22, 16, where Saul or Paul, who had believed on the road to Damascus three days earlier, he was told to get baptized, to get his sins washed away. Acts 22, 16, arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. He wasn't saved from his sins by the blood of Christ. When he believed, God made him act upon his faith. He had to be baptized to get his sins washed away by the blood of Christ. Dave from North Carolina, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yeah, I just got a question. Uh, can one be saved and not accept the rebirth. No. Jesus said in John 3, 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So you cannot be saved. You cannot see the kingdom of God 
unless you're born again. Does that answer your question, Dave? Yeah, but okay. But then what? Uh, we I read in Scripture where it says anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Yep. Okay. So now the Bible doesn't there. So what is, the Bible what does doesn't. Con- okay. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. So you got to be born again. John three 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 verse five of John three. Remember, Nicodemus says, "What are you What are you saying? Am I supposed to get my mother's womb and be born again?" Jesus says, "No." Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So to be born again, you've got to be born of water and the Spirit. You've got to be baptized in water according to the teaching of the Spirit. And you said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 13. Well, Acts 22, 16. Ananias told Saul, arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So the way you call upon God, the way you ask God to save you is by doing what he said to do. To be saved. And John 3, 5 and Acts 22, 16 both show us that baptism is involved. Does that answer your question, Dave? There's no contradiction. Everything is true in the Bible. I agree with with that, what what you're saying, but to me, they're two different answers. I mean, uh, my question was, can one call upon the name of the Lord, like, like you said, and be baptized in order to be saved? And can they do that? and not be born again? No, because being baptized is part of being born again. John 3, 3 says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus elaborates upon that in verse 5. He says, except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So being baptized, calling upon the name of the Lord is part of being born again. You can't be born again without calling upon the name of the Lord, without being baptized to get your sins washed away. Eric from Pennsylvania, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. And Eric, you're going to need to turn your radio down or there's going to be feedback. Okay. Yes. Um, I would like to know. Do uh, we still have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit like they did in the New Testament where Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless, but I send the comforter to you. And unless I go to the Father, the comforter will not come. Do we still have that now in this day and period, or was that just for the old time? Well, where he was talking about he would not leave them comfortless is in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, Jesus right. was going to have to leave, but then he was going to send a comforter. And then he says, for example, in John 16, verse 13, he says, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. This is talking about God sending the Holy Spirit in miraculous way, to reveal the truth to these apostles. You know he's only talking about the apostles here because in John 14, 26, he says, but the comforter, what you've asked about, Eric, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So he's saying part of the function of this miraculous measure of the Holy Spirit that we're talking about is he's going to help you remember the things I taught you while you were on the earth. So he's talking about the apostles here. Now, Eric, in 1 Corinthians 13, the Bible says prophecies shall fail, tongues shall cease, and it says it's going to happen when that which is perfect is come. If we don't have time right now, but if we were to look at that context in detail, we would see that which is perfect is the complete 
New Testament revelation. So the miraculous gifts were given, Eric, to reveal the New Testament law, Matthew through Revelation, and to confirm that, and to confirm that. Once all 27 books of the New Testament were completely revealed and all put together, that would be the perfect, then these miraculous gifts would cease. Now, I could send you some material on that because I don't have time to go into detail tonight other than to tell you the uh-huh. passage to look at is 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13. I can send you some material on that. How about if I call you after the program, I'll get your email so address. Miracles don't happen anymore. That's right. Those type miracles don't happen anymore. The word has already been revealed and confirmed. I'll call you after the program to send you some more material in detail. Thanks for your call, Eric. Now, having said all that, Eric asked, and by the way, if you have a Bible question or comment, call us at 877-655-6755. Eric asked about, do people receive the Holy Ghost today? Now, I was clearly saying they don't receive this miraculous measure of the Holy Ghost, a measure that will enable them to perform miracles. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10 teaches that the miracles have ceased, okay? But people today still receive the Holy Ghost. It just does not enable them to perform the miracles. And you know that from a passage, many passages, like Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Here in Acts 2.38, Peter's talking to some believers. You can tell that from verse 36 and 37. Peter said unto them in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, to outline that verse very quickly, we are told to do two things in order to get two things. Believers are told to repent and be baptized. That's the two things they're told to do. The two things they're told they will get if, that means conditional, if they'll repent and be baptized, are the remission or the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Ghost. So we learn from that that a believer has to repent and be baptized to get the forgiveness of sins. And if he will do that, he will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Doesn't mean he'll be able to perform the miraculous. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13 teaches that has ceased. But it does mean he receives the Holy Ghost. Well, we can see that from a passage like Acts chapter 5, verse 32, where Jesus said, And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. So everybody who obeys the gospel, everybody that obeys Christ and gets in the sense of being a believer in Christ and repenting and being baptized, gets the gift of the Holy Ghost. They receive the Holy Ghost according to... To Acts chapter 5, verse 32, Acts 2.38, and about a dozen other passages. I mean, we don't want to deny anything in the Bible. And when we look at all the Bible has to say, we receive it when a person obeys the gospel, he receives the Holy Ghost, but he's not able to perform the miraculous. 1 Corinthians 13 teaches those have ceased. Jill from Louisiana, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, hi. Um um, I believe it's in First Corinthians chapter seven where it talks about if uh, the husband is a non-believer and the wife is a believer, or vice versa, that right. the non-believing spouse will be covered under the, I guess, the grace of the one that does believe, unless that person leaves the marriage. And I just wanted to get some more information if I'm interpreting that correctly. Well, you're right. That's in First Corinthians seven twelve through fourteen. It says. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. 
If any brother have a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman with hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. And here's the verse you're talking about, verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. Now, when it says that this unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife or covered, as you say, it's not saying that unbelieving husband is going to be saved spiritually. I mean, John 3.16 and other passages teach you got to believe in Christ to be saved. Jesus said in John 8, verse 24, except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. What it's saying is, is if you look at a passage like 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that teaches... I believe that a Christian should marry a believer. So it's wrong for a Christian to marry an unbeliever. But what he's saying here in verse 14 is once they marry, verses 12 through 14, God expects you to stay in the marriage. Don't marry them, but if you do marry them, stay in the marriage because it you're sanctified. The unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, else your children would be unclean, meaning illegitimate. They're not illegitimate. The marriage is scriptural. You weren't to marry a non-Christian, but if you marry a non-Christian, you're supposed to stay in it. And in that sense, then, your children are not illegitimate. It's a scriptural marriage. He's sanctified by the wife. It's a scriptural marriage. But don't marry an unbeliever, but if you do, you're supposed to stay in it. Does that make any sense, Jill? Yes, it does. It does. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for your call, Jill. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. If you have a Bible question or comment, please call us at 877 655-6755. That number to call, we have about two or three more minutes, is 877-655-6755. So we were talking about the blind man in John 9. And Matthew had a great question. Why did Jesus ask the blind man to wash in the pool of Siloam? Because, I mean, obviously Jesus had the power. He could have healed him without that. And the answer is because Jesus requires people to act upon their faith, to receive a blessing. That's what he did. It's the same way with us. 1 Peter 3.21 says, baptism doth also now save us. Does that mean that that baptism earns our salvation? It's the thing that, that, that takes care of our sins? No, it's the death of Christ that takes care of our sins. When it says baptism saves us, it's not saying baptism earns our salvation. It's just saying baptism, just like belief, is a condition we have to meet in order to be saved by the death of Christ. God expects us to act upon our faith, just like he did with the the blind man in John 9, just like he did with the Israelites in Joshua 6, just like he did with Naaman in 2 Kings 5, being healed of his leprosy, just like he did with the Israelites being healed of their snake bites in Numbers 21, verses 5 through 9. God required those people to act upon their faith to receive the promise, the benefit promise. And he's same thing with our salvation. He requires us to act upon our faith to receive the benefit, salvation. Jim from Tennessee, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, sir. Um, I heard what you're saying there, but um, the Bible says that by uh, faith you're saved. And uh, you're saying that you have to be baptized. And um, the thief on the cross uh, was not baptized, and he was saved. And um, Andrew, Andrew Farley has a program as well, and he's very, very adamant that uh, baptism is a celebration of your salvation. That act is yep. just sprinkled water, basically. It's not yep. the salvation act. 
Jim, you can't find anywhere in the Bible anything like that, that baptism is a celebration of your salvation. As a matter of fact, you're right that we're saved by faith. But there's an interesting passage in Galatians 3, 26 and 27. It says, for you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So no doubt, Jim's right. We become children of God by faith. But the very next verse says, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This little word for that begins verse 27, F-O-R means to introduce the reason. In other words, the reason you're a child of God by faith is because you've been baptized into Christ. You became a child of God by faith by being baptized into Christ. And if you're baptized into Christ, that would mean you're not in Christ. You're not a Christian until you're baptized. We are, do become a child of God by faith when we're baptized. That's made clear by Galatians 3, 26 and 27. If you'd like a free one-hour phone Bible study with me at your convenience, Call or text me at 256-682-9753. Free one-hour phone Bible study at your convenience. Call or text me 256-682-9753.